have a device or a Bible with you, I want to go ahead and invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Uh, we're going to be parking today in what is called the Upper Room Discourse, which stretches from 13 to 17. It's a big chunk of the Gospel of John. In fact, the Gospel of John is the only place you find this discourse. It's the only place where we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and, and those types of things. So that's where we're going to be today, but let me just, uh, I, I do, I, I just feel like a kid on Christmas morning about to open presents because I've got so many different things that I want to tell you about. In fact, even just standing up here, I'm going like, man, this is our first series. We call it here and now. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit for the next month. But through the next year, this idea of move, we're going to be preaching through the book of Acts, the three missionary journeys of Paul. And interlaced in that, we're talking about ways God has called us to move, empowered us to move, and things that may be holding us back from moving. And so you're going to, by the time December 2024 gets here, you're going to be tired of the word move. You're going to be going like, stop. Um, But no, it's going to be great. But in that process, I want to take a few moments this morning um, to thank some incredible people. Um, As you know, a few weeks ago, uh, during our our business meeting, we voted uh, Dr. Warner in Jessica uh, Ware to come on our admin team, but that means that some people stepped off. And I just want to say to Lynn Brady and Eddie Elrod, you are two superb men whom I love dearly, and you have done and are continuing to do and will do great things in this church. And so, church, would you let them know how much we appreciate their service the last few years on the admin team? Thank you. In addition to that, though, we, we voted to have seven deacons uh, to come on active status, which only means this, that they're just basically taking on some specific responsibilities. If you are a deacon in this church, you don't stop being a deacon when you roll off. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because a deacon is a servant. You don't stop serving. And the four men this year that are rolling off are men of high integrity, high commitment, and I know that just because they're not active or inactive, whatever that status may be, they're going to continue serving the church, and Christ. And so I want to thank uh, Shannon McFarland, Kevin Moore, Brian Aiken, and Brian Johnson. In fact, Brian Johnson, I love you, man, and you are one of the best deacon chairs I've ever served with. He has been a coach and a fantastic coach to our deacon ministry uh, for his tenure this, I think for two years, right, Brian? You, you served as chair. And, and we are, he's not sorely missed because he's going to keep doing what he does. He loves people, and he loves Christ. And so would you guys let, would you let these guys know how much we appreciate them this morning? And so this afternoon, we will be ordaining Willow and Danny Hubbard as they come on to our team, and we're excited. I'm telling you, I'm excited about what our deacon ministry is doing and are going to be doing. They all, all of the men that serve on our deacon team, they love Jesus and they love to serve. In fact, today, I don't know if you guys know this, but every Sunday our deacons meet to pray. And today the room was so full we had to go to the studio. And I, can, I can't thank you enough for that. So please, church, come back at 3 o'clock and, and participate, support these two men as we ordain them into this ministry. So now let me change gears. And let me tell you, there's five people in this room right now that God's calling you to something specific. This June, June 22nd through the 29th, Ebenezer will be taking a team of six to northern Italy to work with Josh Carpenter, who is one of our mission partners 
who is an IMB missionary, if you remember when he came and shared with us, they, they are working in a school, they're working with refugees. But over a course of time, we've been talking about this, and we have scheduled a trip for June 22nd through the 29th to Riva de Garda, if you can look it up on a map, in Italy for this June. Now, the reason this is being, I'm telling you it this way, is this. It's not on the Church Center app. This is one of those things where I'm asking if you feel like God is calling you to do this, you need to know two things on the front end. Number one, it's going to require rigorous walking. It's going to be a lot of travel. You land after a 14-hour flight, you're on a train for three hours, and then on a bus after that. And then you're going to be walking while you're there. So, so it is a, it's physically taxing, but you're also working with kids. If you remember when Josh shared with us, he shared how they were working with the kids that are in the school and they did a week of VBS with those parents that said, hey, we'd love to have two weeks. And so we're, we're week number two, save the best for last. And so I want to invite you and encourage you, if you are interested, contact me. Let's have a conversation. And then I'm, this trip's going to be somewhere around $3,500 to $4,000. Right now, the best flight you can get is $2,000, unfortunately. But... It's worth it. I asked Josh. In fact, I asked Josh, I said, do you really need us to come? And he said, yes, because it's such an encouragement for our home church where I grew up to come and see what we're doing. And so there's five of you. There's five of you that right now God's moving and beginning to lead you. And I pray that you would get in contact with me and let's talk about that and see what God leads you to do. All right, now third gear. Y'all ready? Put your seatbelt on. Because as you've already seen, we're starting a series Today, they'll go for the next four weeks on the Holy Spirit. Bless you. She's the only one that didn't get flu in the house. I'm just kidding. Now I've embarrassed my child. Aren't preachers good at embarrassing their children? Well, it's a special gift. Many of you, like me, you grew up in a Baptist context. And the discussion of the Holy Spirit was at times missing or at the minimum inadequate. Just to be frank, the only time that we would hear about the Holy Spirit would be during revival services, and it was this mechanism to scare us to death because they used the King James Holy Ghost. And they'd be leaning forward and saying, the Holy Ghost is moving on you. And these kids would be like, I'm sorry, I'll come get saved. And I believe it led to a lot of false conversion, honestly. Because God's not asking us to step into a relationship of fear, is he not? He's asking us to step into a relationship. We, we should be afraid of our sin and the, and the just penalty of our sin. But God is a loving God. And so I, I really, I actually knew more about calculus than I knew about the Holy Spirit. And so for some of you, I mean, just the topic of the Holy Spirit is distant and foreign, almost like the book of Revelation. It's a little bit intimidating. It's confusing. confusing. And honestly, the church hasn't helped out a lot. Some of us, I mean, we, we believe in a faux trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Bible. But, I mean, and there's, some, there's, some, there's some logic to that because, I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired this book, or these books, these 66 books that we call Scripture. But this is not God. This reveals God. And so, you know, when we think about it in, in when we say Western church, what we're talking about is the influence that probably began somewhere around three or 400 A.D. in what now is, is, is encompassing with the, with the Catholic Church and into Protestantism. But there was a man you probably have heard of named St. Augustine. I like that pronunciation better. It sounds cool. 
rather than saying St. Augustine. Because when I say St. Augustine, I want to go to the beach. But St. Augustine proposed many centuries ago that the Holy Spirit was nothing more than the love that existed between the Father and the Son. And one author said this, he said, rather, and this, this created a problem, he said, rather the problem of depersonalizing the Holy Spirit that is so prevalent in the West actually finds its root cause in a dreaded analogy of love that August Augustine propounded. So for me, a few decades ago, or maybe a little over a decade ago, I come across a, a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. And he wrote about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the need of the Holy Spirit and the recognition of the Holy Spirit and how we in the church, we've kind of looked at it like this. Like we come to Jesus and we put our faith and trust in Him to save us, but then we take our Christianity and we handle it on our own. As if we could do the things that's righteously required in my walk with Christ. You have no righteousness. On your best day and my best day, our righteousness is filthy rags. But what God is calling us into is a relationship. And that relationship right now is mediated by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not an it. He's not the force. For those of you that are co-Star Wars fans, he's not an energy to be manipulated. But he is a person of the Godhead equal with the Father and the Son. And they don't ex we don't experience in them separately, like the Father doesn't appear and suck back up into the goo that is God, and the Son appear and suck back up into the goo that is God. That's, that's, a, that's a heresy called modalism. We don't believe in that. My, 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 my family is laughing because there's this video. <laughs> Other people are laughing too. You've seen it. Um, Called by Lutheran satire, where these two peasant, uh, Irish peasants are arguing with Saint Patrick over modalism. It's funny; you need to watch it. But it's but it, but it's true. We we operate sometimes in Christianity that way. What I'm telling you is that we serve a God who is one per, one one God in three persons, and those three persons exist at the same time. And there's nothing in this world that you can compare it to. There's no analogy. There's no metaphor. We accept it as the truth of God, that God is one, and He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to dig into this over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the marking of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.13. We're going to talk about the filling of the Spirit. We're going to dabble with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So those of you that are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit because you're afraid you'll be Pentecostal or charismatic, don't be afraid. Let's have a conversation. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in Scripture, but let's look at it in Scripture. And then let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit, because right now, if we believe, we celebrated Christmas, that Jesus was Emmanuel, God in the flesh, with us, the Holy Spirit is God in us. And if He's in us, we talk, we sang about stepping into the presence of the Lord, we ought to invert that we're actually letting the presence of the lord live out of us if we see it from that perspective yes there is something powerful about coming together and worshiping and that god dwells in the and inhabits the praises of his people but guys i'm telling you you are never alone 
We live in, in a world that has never been as connected as it is, yet loneliness is more prevalent than it's ever been in, its, in our entire life. We separate ourselves from other people, and there's all kinds of things that distracts us and numbs us of the pain of loneliness that we forget that there's a God who is here, and he's with us now. And that ought to light your fire. And I think it was Kevin's got this saying that, if man, if that don't light your fire, your wood, wet, your wood is wet. That is the fire that lives within us, that gives us the power and the passion and the direction of God. And we need to know as much about him as we can. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to start in chapter 14, verse 16. And we're going to read four different parts of the Upper Room Discourse. And here's why. There's a word in Greek that John uses here that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit called parakletos. There is no English word that represents the fullness of the paraclete who is the Holy Spirit. These four sections that I'm reading to you are four times in Scripture that parakletos is used. It literally means one who comes alongside somebody. But I want us to dig in deep that as we're reading this, I want you to see the attributes of the person of the Holy Spirit. So let me read. We're going to be standing for just a second, but let me read through this, starting in verse number 16. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper. See, I don't like that word. That's, that's not the fullness of paraclete. So is it okay if I just say paraclete? Does that bother anybody? I don't care if it bothers you anyway. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That's a very intimate phrase. Then skip down to verse number 26. But the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Because you would forget your own name on a daily basis. Because you are fallible. And we need to be reminded on a constant basis. Now uh, go to fifteen twenty-six. When the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Where is he coming from? Because he said it like multiple times now. He's coming from the Father. That is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. And so you know what that means for you and me? You can testify about Jesus all you want, but he's sufficient in his testimony as Father, Son, and Spirit. We just get to participate in it. In other words, what I'm saying is, the Holy Spirit is sufficient enough to, to verify and testify about Christ with or without us. We get the honor and the privilege by the invitation and calling of God to testify for him. And we should never take that for granted. Verse number 27, And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now skip to 16.5. I told you it was a lot of reading. But you're going to like me in a few minutes. I'm going to give you a gift. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me where are you going. Because he would already told him in 14.1. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again to receive you myself. That where I am there you may be also. He's told him where he's going. And he says but because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Well, yeah, you just told them they're going to die for following you. 
You tell them they're going to suffer by the world's hand because they're following you, and you're leaving them all by themselves. So yeah, you'd be upset too. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Amen. Satan may have you for a season, but he didn't win the battle. He said in verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, and I do too. But I cannot be- but you cannot bear them now. So that's why we're going to 1 o'clock. I mean, I got so many things to say. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you to all the truth. Not some of the truth, not part of the truth, not a little of the truth, but all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and disclose to you what is to come. And in all this, he said, I, he will glorify me. For he will take of mine and disclose it to you. Now listen to the beauty of the Trinity here. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and discloses it to you. Father, as we look into this for the next few moments, would you help us appreciate and honor the person that is the Holy Spirit? Father, we know we pray to the Father by the Son, through the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful ministry that we get to partake of. We may not understand it fully in our finite minds, but God, we're so thankful, so thankful, God, that you sent the Spirit to us to be in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the gift I'm going to give to you. Here's the answers to all the blanks. Now, go ahead, get your study guide out. I'm just going to give you the blanks because there's 10 points. And y'all are getting hungry. Nobody's hungry? Golly, I thought that one flew over like a lead balloon. Let me give you these points, and then I'm going to go back and break them down. We've read through that passage. But what I want you to hear me saying is that as a person, the Holy Spirit has attributes. And as we see these attributes bearing forth through Scripture, we can begin to appreciate and relate to the person of the Holy Spirit. So the first blank says this. The Spirit is one person of the Godhead. There are three. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let me just go ahead and inject this in here. When you look in at the original language, parakletos is in the masculine form. A couple of times in that passage, the Greek word akinos was used, which means that one. It's a, it's a pronoun, but it's in the masculine form. The Holy Spirit is not an it, he's a he. The Father is a he, and the Son is a he. And in our liberal Christian culture today, who are praying to Mother God, that is heresy. Are y'all, y'all hearing that? The Holy Spirit is a he. God is a he. So let's not go away from what Scripture teaches to make me feel better about my cultural position. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you, if Jesus is going to lead us into all the truth, we need to embrace all the truth. Not the truth that fits where I am, but the truth that fits into what he said. Because it's the truth that sets me free. So let's not make him somebody he's not. He is the paraclete. The one called alongside. The fulfillment 
of the Old Testament promises that he would be in us. So number two, I just got to read these. I'm going to preach all day. He's personable and relatable. Personable and relatable. He's, he, as a person, you can relate to him. You can talk to him. Number three, he teaches and he reminds us. It's his role. He's to remind us. He's to give us knowledge from the Lord, what he's inspired in Scripture. But he brings those things back to our memory. The Spirit communicates and he testifies about Jesus. And as you read multiple times in those four different passages, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. And that word procession does not mean emanate from. It means to journey from. So in other words, he has been sent as an emissary to us. It's not some kind of force that goes out. The Spirit is God with us now. That's, that is such a huge point to understand, especially if I wrestle and struggle with being lonely. Jesus promised before he ascended, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession. That's where he is. And he sent the Spirit to be with us and in us so that we would not be alone. The Spirit is our helper, our advocate, our comforter. All of those words begin to describe the paraclete. But you can't use one of those words individually and not get the fullness of who he is. The Spirit brings conviction to the world. Golly, we need conviction in our lives. Don't numb your conviction. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. And when the Spirit speaks to you, it will be in line with what has been illuminated. I take the word of the apostles who saw Jesus, who were with him from the beginning, before I'll take some philosophical interpretation of what someone else is saying. The Spirit, number nine, they're not numbered, but it's the ninth one. The Spirit speaks and reveals the truth of God. So when you sit down to look through Scripture to find the truth, you know the best thing you can do to start with is ask, Lord, open my mind to understand. Because outside of divine enablement, you will never understand. And lastly, the Spirit glorifies Christ by revealing Christ. The Spirit glorifies Christ by revealing Christ. And with that, you are welcome that I let you fill in all but the last blank. Because now I want to I I take a step back for just a second. Because when you start begin, and you begin to read the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God as early as Genesis 1-2. In fact, he says, he says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the, wa- over the surface of the water. And there's this beautiful picture of God the Father from whom... Creation comes, the, the word of God, Jesus, by which what the, word, what the world is created. But the spirit, the breath of God proceeding out and hovering and feeling over all of that. It's this beautiful triune picture so that by the time you get to Genesis 1.26 and he says, let us make man in our image. It wasn't just God the Father. It was God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that in the pre-fallen form Adam was made in that image but then we get to Genesis 6 3 
And we read where it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And what we see is that as God began to retract his spirit from around man, that life began to retract. When you think spirit, you need to think life. The Old Testament and the New Testament words for spirit also could be translated breath and wind. How was it that Adam was formed? He was formed and God breathed in him the breath of life. When we get to the end of John, we'll see where Jesus says he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's connected. So then when you get to Ezekiel 36, 27, the foundation of the new covenant where he says, and I will put my spirit in them. It's not just that he's dwelling around them. It's not that he's going here and there. He is going to be in the one who would believe, causing them to obey his commands. And by obeying his commands, reversing the curse and restoring the image that God intended for mankind. And so then when you get to Joel chapter 2, 28, it says that it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. It's not for the select few. It's for the whosoever will. And guys, this isn't, this isn't parlor tricks. This isn't some kind of energy to be manipulated. And let me just say this. It's not the manifestations to help prove that you're a Christian. That one needs to sit too. What proves, what greater evidence can there ever be of the divine Holy Spirit living in your life and mine than life change? Not manifestations. No offense to my Pentecostal and charismatic friends. Not speaking in tongues. It's not falling out and being slayed in spirit. That does not prove you're spiritual. What proves you're spiritual is God begins to change the heart of a broken man. First and foremost. I told you I'd meddle a little bit today. Because we need the Holy Spirit. He is the agent that marks our salvation. He's the power to be a witness for God. He gives us purpose for living. He's the agent of change and sanctification. And I should want to be sanctified first. That's why it appeared on, in Acts chapter 2, it appeared as cloven tongues on them. John said he would baptize you with fire because you needed to be purified first. He enables us with the supernatural to do God's will because you can't do it. Period. And so when I say I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then I have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so John, in this discourse, in this upper room discourse, he starts off by baptizing, he's washing the disciples' feet, he's giving Judas, saying, you know what, what you're going to do, go on and do it. But he's calling them to two things. He's calling them to love one another, and in loving one another, he's calling them to be unified. Because it was the only way the only way that they could represent a triune God who is perfectly unified was to be unified in the love of Christ with the same mission and the same hope. And so let me just go back through those points again. I got so many quotes, I'm going to skip them. Well, no, I'm not, because this one's good. Listen to, listen to what Greg Herrick said. He does a great job of succinctly summarizing the deity of the Holy Spirit. He says this, the Holy Spirit is distinguished from, yet closely related to the Father and the Son, 
on an equal basis. It's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son submits to the Father, but by His choice, He's not subjugated, and neither is the Holy Spirit. He does divine works, including inspiring Scripture, changing hearts, creating, sustaining, and giving life to all things. He is said to be eternal, omniscient, and is actually referred to as God. There is no room for doubt. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is divine and is God and is worthy of worship. And so let me just kind of dig through these. If you want to follow back along with that outline, that's why I gave you the blanks. Just listen to some of these things. We look back at verse 16 of chapter 14. The Spirit is one person of the Godhead. I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you the paraclete. Son, Father, Spirit in one sentence. This beautiful picture, see, so that he may be with you forever. What more intimate thing can you say? Like when you get married, you say, you know, I'm going I'm to love you to the day I die. The Holy Spirit said, I'll be with you forever. Big difference, isn't it? You read in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. They, Paul recognized the three persons of the Trinity. And so when we call him this paraclete, if you have a, king, a new King James or an ESV, he's called the helper in those. In the NIV and the NLT, he's called the advocate. In the, king, in the original King James Version, he's called the comforter. In the Holman Christian, he's called the counselor. But all of these fall short. Thomas Constable said the Greek word translated here is parakletos, paraclete. All of these English words have connotations that are absent from the Greek word. Helper connotes an inferior, which is not the Holy Spirit. Counselor calls to mind a camp or camp counselor or marriage counselor where a, where a legal counselor is probably more in harmony with where this is. We need an advocate because we're sinners. We need someone to argue on our behalf that the blood has been applied to our hearts. That's what we need. An advocate may only suggest a limited sphere of help. An intercessor only implies one type of help in that regard. So here what we see in a world of loneliness is a God who is more than able and he said, I will be with you forever. Don't you like promises? And that is a good promise. The second one there, he's personable and relatable. He said in, in verse 16, he said, I will be with you forever. And he talked about the world doesn't know him. But he said, but I, he will, the Spirit, be with you and in you. With you and in you. The world doesn't know him. Why? Because the world rejected Jesus, rejected Jesus' word, rejected Jesus' call to repentance. What greater attribute of his person than that he is present literally in you according to the promise of the new covenant? When you study the love languages of Gary Chapman, one of them is quality time. I have one of those in my family. She has quality time as her love language. And she sometimes just wants you to be present. Guys, we have somebody who is always present with us. And when we feel that presence, we feel like we belong. How many of you, if you were honest, don't raise your hand. Kind of was like me when I was in high school. I didn't really fit with any group. I could go hang out with this group and this group and this group and this group. But you know what? I really didn't have a group of my own. Kind of felt left out. 
on the margin. But you know what? In Jesus, if I never have another group the rest of my life in this world, I've got somebody that I belong to. And you do too. The third point there, the Spirit teaches us and reminds us. I looked on my phone, and I have 60 reminders. Yep. To take medicine all the way to changing my air filters once a year. Even my car air filters, it just went off this morning while I was in the first service. It said, check your air filter in your car. But you know what? We, we, we set reminders for things that are important. And Jesus knew the fallacy of man, even those who he had called to be his disciples. In fact, when we get to 16.1, listen to what he says there. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that you, will, you may be kept from stumbling. We all know what happens the next, that just a few hours later after this, this meal and this discourse. They all scatter. If they couldn't do it, you can't do it. You and I need something that will enable us. What would it be like if in the Spirit we accepted the truth of God as it is, humbly and graciously, and lived according to that? Because the fourth, the fourth one here, oh, turn too quick. The Spirit communicates and testifies. If he's not a person, how can he communicate and testify? He says, when the helper comes that I will send, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you, will also, and, t- and you will also testify. But he does so with a purpose. What's his purpose? To reveal the person of Christ. What's God's purpose for you? To be like Christ. He says in Romans 8, 26-29, in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness. Do you understand you and I are weak? Come on, y'all, y'all, y'all saying Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. I'm not going to sing because my voice is terrible. But he says that in there, when I'm weak, he's strong. But I think we get comfortable in our Christianity and we start living as if I'm sufficient in and of myself. That I can do Christianity by myself. That I don't need power. I don't need help. I don't need direction. I don't need any of that. I can do it on my own. And that's why we're so lonely in America today. Because we think we can do Christian life on our own. Well, first, we need the Holy Spirit, and then we need Christians around us. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, not forsaking the excel, our assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but so much more as we see the day approaching. We need each other, but primarily we need the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it will be in line with what this says. It will not contradict this. I recalled um, many years ago, I'm going to be very general with this story. This lady came to me and she said, I'm going to divorce my husband. I said, really? Why? What happened? She said, I just don't love him anymore. They've been married two weeks. But she said to me, God has given me permission I went, no, he did not. Because if I really, if I respect and see the Holy Spirit as the person of God, a person of God, and this came from him, then this ought to be my desire of my heart to do what this word says. To ingest this word, to know this word, to quote this word, to live by this word. Why? Because it came from the Holy Spirit. But the more I love the world, And the more that I love my sin, the less I will care about what the Spirit speaks. He proceeds from the Father, as we said. He is God with us now. 
He is how we connect to him. And I'm sure the disciples were hurt, confused, and disappointed. We miss this, that in Jesus telling them all these things, that the world hated him, they were, he was going to hate the disciples, the world's going to hate the disciples as well. It was a death sentence for them to pledge allegiance to Jesus. And you know, we come up to people and we'll say, hey, you know what? Everything in your life is just, you know, it's probably bad, but Jesus can give you a new life. And we share the gospel that way. The gospel here was, if you follow me, you will die. We don't even know that kind of stretching. We have brothers and sisters around the world right now that are hiding in rooms in basements to worship. But yet in America, we have to fight to get to church. I think part of the problem is recognizing the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. The desire to want to know the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit. Because when we say the Spirit is our helper, our advocate, and our comforter, He says, I tell you these things, it's your advantage that He goes away. Emphatically, He said, I, ego, I tell you the truth. Jesus is not leading them astray. He's leaving them. The world hated Him. The world hates His followers. But they were not going to be alone. And we live in a lonely world. There's a, there's a term that I learned a few weeks ago called fubbing. You have to say that very carefully. But it's, 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 it's a compound of phone snubbing. It's this idea that it, it, it's, it, this study was conducted that, that talked about how fubbing is like, you know, you're, somebody's talking to you and you're going, uh uh-huh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. And you're preferring your phone over the person in front of you. A study conducted in Romania has revealed that individuals exposed to fubbing, ignoring someone in favor of a mobile phone, tend to experience greater loneliness and psychological distress. Guys, we need to come to a place where we prefer what's out of this world than what's in this world. To turn off the phone, to turn off the TV, to turn off the distraction, to put the drugs, the alcohol, the workaholic behavior, sexual immorality, all the things that we're using in the world to numb us of the pain of the world. We need a solution that's out of this world. That's beyond anything that I can do on my own. We need the Holy Spirit of God. He brings conviction, and I probably could preach a whole different message on this, but I want you to hear what Leon Morris says when he talks about bringing conviction to the world, the Spirit shows people that righteousness, listen, is not the acquiring of merit that they think it is. I do a whole bunch of good stuff. It makes me look good. Therefore, I'm a good guy. That's not what righteousness is about. Righteousness before God depends not on their own efforts, but on the, on the atoning work of Christ for them, us. I am in greater position with God by the Holy Spirit when I'm at that place where I recognize I am a sinner on my best day. I am destitute, incapable of any goodness, but that by the Spirit of God living inside of me, I might be able to glorify Him. The Spirit speaks and reveals the truth of God, so if He speaks, I need to listen. He's a guide to us, right? I talked to a friend recently who went to Alaska on a hunt. And if you've ever been on a hunt and you're going somewhere you don't know where you're, you've been, it's a lot different than hunting in Georgia. 
Much of you guys hunt deer, right? You, you go on and you get your tags, you shoot the deer, you mark the tag, you're done, right? You go to Alaska, you don't do that. In fact, there's like directions on how this guy shot a moose. And there was directions on how you were to skin the carcass, remove the meat from the carcass, haul the carcass out, leave the bones where the... I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, man, you got to like have like a 400-page manual on how to gut a deer. But they'd be in a lot of trouble if they didn't have a guide. See, when you talk about a guide, it's more than somebody telling you where to go on a map. You need somebody who will take you there. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And finally, he glorifies Christ. The Spirit testifies and reveals the truth of Christ. He communicates and speaks truth. He reveals Christ and brings to memory what he said. He advocates for us. He brings conviction. All of this is to say that last point that you didn't fill in, that we need to experience the person that is the Holy Spirit. I've missed, I have skipped a whole bunch of notes. But you know what? We got four more weeks to unpack a whole lot of stuff. I just wanted to whet your appetite and challenge you that in your Christian walk, you cannot do it on your own. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the power. You don't have the direction. And that's not the plan of God anyway. The plan of God was to put His Spirit inside of us to lead us, direct us, empower us, to advocate for us, to walk alongside of us. I love it the way that R.A. Torrey said. He said, it's of the highest importance that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is a divine person worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, our love, and our entire surrender to himself, or whether he's simply an influence emanating from God. If the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine being, and we do not treat him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the worship, the faith, the love, and the surrender to himself, which are his due. You want to make a difference in this life? You want to make a difference. I hope you want to make a difference. Jesus has done so much for us that the least that we can do is give him our allegiance, right? But what's the maximum that we can give him? I think it's to submit in the Holy Spirit and say, God, whatever you want to do with me, however I can make a difference, I'm listening. So some of you have been sitting in your seat and you've been looking at these balls up here on the stage. Now, we're not gambling, but we challenged you guys that we want to see 100 people saved and baptized this year. I would love 23,000. But what I want is God's will done. And I want to follow the Holy Spirit. I don't want to see false conversions and rebaptisms. Numbers are arbitrary. What I want to see is life change. But these balls up here represent people. In fact, there's a hundred of them. There's, there's some white ones and there's some blue ones. The white ones um, are some extras. There's two sets of a hundred balls. They're numbered. But when I look at this, this number, this is 28. This, this number 28 represents a person with a soul and a life, possibly a family, definitely problems. But it represents somebody that's going to hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. So what I want to challenge you to do as Josiah gets ready to come up and lead us in this last song. I want to challenge you during this invitation to come and get a ping pong ball. And you ladies, you could put this in your cup holder so when you get your new Stanley cup and you try to put it in your cup holder, it's going to hit the ball. And you're going to be like, why is my cup not going in the cup holder? Because, oh, I need to, I need to, God, I pray for number 28. I know that this number 28 is a person that you want to come to faith. And God, I pray, if, if not me, that you would put people in their life that, 
that they would hear the gospel, recognize their need, and be saved. That's the purpose of this ball. And when, and when we go through the year and we have baptisms, we will say, hey, this is number 9 and number 10. And you know what we want you to do? We want you to bring them back. And we're going to collect them. And on December 29th, the end of the year, we're going to have them in a bowl up here. And we're going to celebrate it. If it's one, it'll be worth celebrating. If it's 100, praise God. But what we want to see is this infiltrate our life because I just said the Holy Spirit is a person that person dwells with us he's leading us and he directs us and he's calling us to big things so would you stand with me now and I want to just ask that God moves you if you come up here and the balls are gone that doesn't mean you can't pray you go buy a ping pong ball and draw whatever number you want to on there you know why because it's a person it's not a ball it's not an idea it's a human being And we want to see God impact our community in a powerful way. Father, as we go into this time of invitation, I pray that you'd move on our hearts to do whatever it is that you'd be calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.